And you can sponsor this show and the website. Just go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked. You can pledge as little as a dollar per creation, which basically means a dollar a week because I only do one charge per creation per week. So today, my guest is the first time I'm getting to talk to this amazingly talented creator of comics. Susan Benville is here. We're going to talk about her new series, Awake, from Action Lab. And we're going to get to know about the story and the team and her creative process. So... Um, this is, uh, we're just going to get right into things. Susan, welcome to the show. Great, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. The, the, the first thing that um, I think any potential new readers are going to want to know is what kind of book is this? What's your, um, is there a target demographic or, or anything? Because it's, it doesn't, like one of the things that we're trying to get through here with, with comics anyway, with some of us anyway, are trying to sort of explain when um, there are female characters that it doesn't need to be a girly book. Right, you know? right, yeah, totally. Um, so I want you to just explain what Awake is. So Awake is, um, it's an all-ages book, and it's, it's one of those things where our main character is uh, a young girl about the age of 12. Uh, her name is Rain. And she is from an intergalactic race of people called the Dola. And their uh, calling in the universe is to go around to various planets and go to the planet and wake them up. And it's so whenever a planet has to make a transition, you know, in terms of its evolution or something's going on or going wrong with the planet, uh, these children of this race are sent by themselves with just a mentor down to the planet and have this awesome responsibility of waking up the planet and guiding it into its next stage or transition it to you know, help it resolve its problems. Um, so Rain is actually, uh, this is her first mission in the, in the very first uh, series uh, or arc, I guess, and um, she's a little nervous. Um, she has a great mentor, um, Opry, but she lands on this planet called Gremon, um, only to discover that the planet is really like it's just in terrible shape. It's there's earthquakes and floods and fires and droughts. The, there's chaos happening all over the surface of the planet, and she discovers that the planet is actually already awake, and uh, that causes a lot of problems. It's this idea that the planet's consciousness is separated from its physical self. And so it's having a lot of emotional uh, reaction to that. So she needs to figure out a way to communicate with this planet and control it and, and get it under control uh, so that she can help the planet heal itself. And so it's, it's, it's very much got this uh, you know, young female character, Rain. Uh, she's got an older brother who's kind of a, a, a rascal, kind of a screw-up. And she's got to help him out as well. But... To me, it's it's not it's we really Brian and I, who's the artist, we really focused on making this an all ages book. It's not what I would call what I would think of as a kids book. It, we don't talk down to kids. We think everybody who reads this will love it. Uh, we have fans already who are enjoying it from you know all over the spectrum. Uh, we have you know folks in their 40s and their 30s and their 20s. We have kids who love it. So it truly, truly is uh, an all ages book. Yeah, it's great. You know, along the same sort of vibe as Planet Gigantic, which is 
it's all ages, even though there's... You know, I think that's an important thing, because sometimes, you know, you don't need to be Shakespeare. Like, you don't... Right, <laughs> you right. know, you have, like, the best stories can be told in simple ways. What I really liked... Um, let me make sure that I'm not losing anybody. Um, what I really liked about Rain was how how vulnerable she seemed at first. Mm-hmm. So um, you had mentioned Brian, your artist, and what? How much did he? Uh, other than the visuals, like what is the creative process like for you guys to come up with the characters and this kind of story? So um, Brian and I have a tremendous working relationship, and what happened in this particular instance is he and I had been working on uh, sort of a custom comic book for a private client, and then he came to me, and he already had the sort of visuals for Rain and Opry and Picard. He had this sort of vision of, you know, uh, people who could wake up a planet uh, but he didn't really have a full story or full characters. But he really had this very beautiful image. I mean, it was really just this image of this little girl walking through the snow. And uh, she looked so, like, introspective and, 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 and again, like I think he said, like, like she's uncertain and doesn't know herself yet. And he captured so much of that and alone. She's alone. Uh, and he captured so much of that in that very first image that I, I was just like blown away, honestly, just blown away. And his style and the characterization of her have changed a little bit. We made her a little bit older uh, than she initially was. But it's it was really about, okay, he came to me and he had these amazing images and he said, but I don't have a story. And I was like, oh, I can do that. So we talked for about three hours uh, and went back and forth with what could this be about, what was this going to be about, what, you know, planet's consciousness, should we make the planet a character itself? We both agreed totally yes, make the planet an actual character. Uh, then I went and spent, uh, I don't know, a week or two and wrote out a treatment for what was then going to be an eight-issue uh, self-published book. And uh, he and I started working on it. And, you know, he, he loved the treatment. I went back and wrote the script for uh, issue one. And and then it kind of, this was back in like 2009, and then it kind of fell away a little bit because life kept happening to each of us. You know, he got married. Uh, he changed jobs a couple of times. Uh, I got married. Uh, my work shifted quite a bit. Um, I lost both my parents. And so last year... We both really just said, look, we really have got to just do it. Let's get this done. And so it, he just he just sat down and he cranked it out. So our process is uh, I, I write a script. I send it to him. If he has any questions about it or changes, he gives me a call or shoots me an email. Uh, so we get, we're in agreement on the script, and then he starts to pencil it. He pencils it, inks it, and... Uh, Back then, he did all the colors. Now we have a colorist who works with us. Uh, but I don't see it again until it is colored. And that's when I have the wonderful experience of seeing my words transformed in this extraordinary art. 
And then he and I will go back a little bit if there's any changes that need to be made. I will adjust the script uh, so that it, uh, and I think, I think the art almost always makes it so that I get to drop some dialogue or shift some dialogue so that it makes the script even better. Uh, and then once that's done, we send it to the letterer. Uh, it comes back. I edit it, and it's pretty much done. Yeah, it's actually a really uh, great point that you brought up about dropping dialogue sometimes because one of the things that I noticed was your extraordinary use of silent panels. Like you don't have, you know, thought captions or anything. It's just there are just moments when this girl, Rain, needs to walk on her journey and, you know, and it is going to be like some sort of, you know, hero journey and challenge for her. Absolutely. We'll get into that. Yeah. But there's just, there are these moments where because of his visuals and the way that he expresses her face, you just, it's like you can see all of these thoughts churning inside of her. Thank you. I'm so glad, I'm so glad actually that you picked up on that because that's something that Brian and I totally are on the same same page about. And, and actually, the, the silences are built into the scripts. And we are really, really fans of quiet moments and of taking a break and just being with a character while they're with themselves, you know, while they're in their heads. And I feel in life, uh, as in art, that it's really important to be comfortable with silence and to allow somebody that you're with uh, to be silent and, and to be with themselves. And so we felt that it was really important to allow our characters to have the same opportunity and for our readers to share that with them and to have that time to just take a breath and to really reflect uh, on what's happening in the story. Uh, and so thank you very much. It's, it's been something that's been a, a real, I think, hallmark of the work that we're creating. Is that something that, since it's important to you with your characters, it's something that's important to you in your everyday life or when you're working? Do you have to have it really quiet? Um, when I'm writing? Yeah, like some people, you know, they... Some people put on heavy metal. Like, that surprised me. Something about Stephen King one time saying that he has to have, like, thrashing heavy metal music. And then it's not until he's gone through a draft that he is quiet. He has everything quiet. Oh, that's really interesting. I've never okay. really thought about it. Um, I actually, this is, this is a very strange thing, but I will be writing. Uh, and, and, and usually I'll start out, start out in silence. And really, and I'll just crank, crank, crank. Uh, and I'll get you know, a page done or half a page done uh, or two pages or wherever. And then I'll hit a spot where I don't know. I, I, I think I know where I'm going, but something in my mind, like in my subconscious, is not happy with it. And so literally, like, my brain almost shuts off and and makes me stop writing. And if I get up and walk around, then I lose track. So I just have to sit there and it almost like completely relaxed and shut down. I almost refer to it as, as, as like a writer's narcolepsy because I almost it's, it's almost like I just dip deeply into my head. And I don't know if this happens to other people. I think it's super weird. But what will happen is something will happen in my subconscious and then I'll like kind of snap to and the answer is there. The solution is there for whatever that problem was I was having in the plot or in the description or in the dialogue. 
So uh, it's really funny because that happens to me. And so I do go very internal, very, very internal to get through those difficult times. And I don't think it matters to me if there's noise going on or not. I, my brain will just do that. It's very strange. Sometimes I listen to music. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I listen to old-time radio shows. That's cool. Yeah, I, I sort of have been able to switch. And it's just, um, it just I mean, my moods are, are very mercurial anyway. So I, I have days where I will have something playing in the background, like a TV show that I'm familiar with and completely not paying attention to. Or I'll have days where, if, like my big research days, in order right. to to get in the mood, I'll be like, okay, if I'm writing something about, you know, characters from a certain time period, I want to go find that kind of music. Right. And, uh, you know, but today was one of those days where I had the appropriate music playing and, and I was just like, my head is too loud. Right. Like, I, I just, I was, I was staring and not doing anything. I'm like, okay, my head is just too loud. And I just had to turn it off. Right, and sometimes I have to play music I'm not very familiar with because if it's a, if it's a, you know some pop tune that I've heard a million times, then I'll get distracted by it. Like yesterday, I'm sitting there writing this wonderful all ages comic book. Uh, I was writing some really sweet scenes with Rain, and I'm listening to like some Christina Aguilera album with you know that really synthy pop dance hypersexualized music going on, and that's what was working for me. Go figure. Yeah, well, hey, you never know. And plus, it's something, I mean, whatever. Kids would certainly like to dance around to that. <laughs> right. That's, they don't care what it is. Right. That's totally true. So, I did also, you mentioned, um, you know, your process that you, you get it back and then you have the opportunity to check the lettering. So um, your letterer, total shout out, because it was some of the best, clearest, most readable lettering. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I you know, I've seen books with like the crossed balloon tails. And, you know, sometimes you can't tell if, you know, if there had been something off panel whose caption it actually was and stuff like that. So when it came to, um, this is, is it pronounced James? Yes. Okay, so it's James Reed. Reed. Yep. And it was really fabulous lettering. So Yeah, on. he's been a total find. Uh, he's a wonderful guy. I've never met him in person. He lives in South Carolina. He is super professional. He is super fast. Um, when we were doing our first book, when we self-published it, we had a very short window of time for him to do the lettering and he was awesome. He was very responsive. And like you said, I mean, he just has a really good sense for it. And so when I get the lettering back, um, I very rarely have to do any kind of, of changing of like where the balloons are, where the tails are. Uh, and I am super picky about that. Uh, we had somebody else do the lettering once and it was, it was very difficult. And I actually had to go through on a, on a prototype of the book and draw in where the, the balloon should be and so with James it's a completely different story he he does a wonderful wonderful job for us well that's great hopefully I'll get to see his name on more books and yeah exactly <laughs> um and you mentioned having a, a new person working on colors so is this somebody who's doing all of it because I noticed that you had a flatting credit and I wanted to ask you about your your decision to actually credit the flatter. This is a new thing. It's a very new thing that I'm seeing teams do. Right. Well, you know, I, I think, well, number one, our um, flatter is a woman named Darnay Lang. And, again, you know, everybody always says this about their team, but my team actually is the best. Um, and she's just, a, she's a very lovely woman. She's 
uh, transitioning back into art. She's been doing it for a while. Um, she colors, uh, I can't remember the name of the, Travis's, uh, I can't remember his last name. He does the bean. And she works with him on coloring that. And Brian, you know, my artist, has been doing all of the coloring. Uh, he did all the coloring in the original issue number one. And he is amazing at it, and it takes a tremendous amount of time. And so what we decided to do, because we kind of had a shorter time frame to get issues one through four done. And so we decided to hire a flatter. And we looked at several people and Darnay came along and she met with Brian. They kind of went through the process. He told her what he needed. And so she started doing it. And she just did, like, she just clicked right in and, and was nailing it and was doing a great job. And, and Brian and I are, are, are all about giving people credit. I mean, she did an amazing job. She saved so much time. And as we're progressing, we're now into uh, issue number five. We're working on issue number five right now. And she's really beginning to, to ramp up the amount that she brings. Um, so she's doing a lot more work on each book. So, you know, our hope is that someday we're going to be changing the the flatter or flatted, flattering, I don't know what we call it, flatting, um, credit to coloring for her because I think she's I think she's just almost there she's great well one of the things that I did want to ask you was specifically about the color because it's it's so dynamic in these pages and um, as a writer what kind of notes are you putting in your script and in, in your description because um, you know, we mentioned that there's some um, there, there are fantasy elements here. I mean, obviously, we have planets that are, are that are alive, and you know, these special um, alien beings and stuff. So there's there's already not you know not grounded, if you will, yeah. powers and powers involved. But you have like a really distinct color palette for her, and then there are scenes with the guys fishing, which is a whole different kind of color palette. Um, are those notes that you've put in there or is that something that you let Brian and Darnay just take over? That is all Brian. Uh, Brian establishes the, the palette. And, and I think now as we're progressing along, I think Darnay is, is having a lot more input into it. Um, but if there is something specific, for example, the color that is emanated when they're using their powers, that's something that Brian and I you know, have talked about. If there's something specific that I, I know in my mind needs to be a specific color. Um, like there's a, a golden orb that they kind of travel around in uh, that you'll see a lot more of in, in later issues. And that to me was really important that it be a particular color. And he and I went back and forth about that. But the palette and what I, I really think of as sort of this extraordinary vibrancy of it is, is all Brian. And it has been. And, and it was interesting is when he did that initial work, uh, when he showed it to me, it was a much more muted palette. It was beautiful. But as we've transitioned the story and the tone, the the color just sort of came along and became that much richer. And I think it's it's such uh, I think it's such an important part of the book. I really do. It is. Um, it, you know, certainly I think the it would still be a fun story, even if it was grayscale. Right. But, True. You know, but there's uh, you have to really be able to have have the shading done where you can see the same kind of dimensions and stuff that mm -hmm. these colors mm -hmm. bring out. I mean, they really, really pop. Mm -hmm. 
So that's it, it was just a cool thing because it's like, oh, you know, you you want to love colors, and it's like, oh, but that's another person that we have to figure out how to pay. And <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, you know, that's a really important point because, you know, when Brian and I started this, our intention all along had been to self-publish. And so we had to make the decision um, to to do it in color because that increased the printing cost that much more. But it just really, like, that's what this story called for. And so we decided to go ahead and, 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 and make that investment. And I think it totally has paid off for us. And as we're going forward, you know, it's a creator-owned comic book. So, you know, Brian and I are, are incurring the expense of, of the colorist and, um, and the letterer. And we just we just have made the decision that it's that important to us to invest not only our time and our creativity, but a little bit of our own money uh, to make this absolutely the best book we possibly can. And bringing James and Darnay on board are decisions I ha- don't regret and will never regret. So making that decision to, to make it color and to make it that rich color. And, and when we published it, when we self-published it the first time, we actually got a really nice printing job, and that made all the difference. Okay, so you had some of this already done and available by the time you got picked up with a publisher. Yeah, that's that's how we got picked up. We self-published the first issue, and um, we went to, which was it? I think it was Ape. Yeah, it was Ape in San Francisco back in October. We didn't even have a table. We were supposed to have a table, and that fell through. And so we just threw several of the books. We self-published 750 books. And we thought, oh, my God, we're going to end up with, you know, boxes of comic books in our uh, garages until we're really old. But, you know, we thought, okay, let's just let's just as we're sitting here, let's just pretend that this is going to be huge. And so we printed 750 books. We threw some in our bags, went to Ape. We're walking along and Brian met Dave Dwanch, who's the creative director of uh, Action Lab. And as you do at conventions with other artists, you know, we were basically just trading books with people. And so Brian and I were talking to Dave. Dave's a super nice guy, very engaging. And he also has uh, some great work, books that he's working on. And a couple of weeks later, he called us and said, hey, uh, our, our editors really love this book and we'd like to publish it. And honestly, Brian and I had not been thinking about that. We had sort of, you know, between the two of us, committed to, to self-publishing, and so we took some time. We started doing, uh, really looking at a lot of Action Lab's books and where their market is, and we, you know, with Princeless, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, uh, Skyward, and several of their other books that are so perfectly in that all ages niche. We just thought it was such a perfect fit that we we went with it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, yeah, uh, I forgot about Skyward. Um, or, yeah, Skyward. Yeah. Um, there's such a a nice benefit, though, to having a, a publisher like this behind you because you're going to get into the Diamond Catalog, which is how comic shops place their orders. Right. And... If you're lucky, then they, you know, they sometimes do like nice little like staff picks, especially for the all ages stuff. They'll have like a special little blurb about it on a di- on a on a different kind of page so that it stands out more and everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I guess then you just have the backing of a place like Action Lab, where if 
obviously it's going to be hard if you're you're footing your own bill to get to as many conventions as you want. Mm-hmm. So there'll be people that could actually like sell your stuff for you right. if you're not not there. Right. And here's a silly little moment. I this is this is my first, you know, big book and uh Action Lab has their own section in previews. And so when the July previews came out, uh my comic shop uh you know, local gal, Miriam Ramos, got me several copies, and um, and she, in fact, she took a picture of it and uh, texted it to me. Um, and I, I, when I got it, when I got the book, I opened it up to that page, and I mean, I, I got teary. It was amazing to me. Action Action Lab had devoted basically two thirds of a page to Awake. Uh, we uh, and it, it, it really stands out. They really did a nice job of, of framing it. We have like the little preview pages, and I've been looking at previews for years. I'm a, I'm a comic book collector. And to see my book on that page, and there's the the diamond spotlight on uh, label, uh, you know the kid, certified kid cool or whatever it is I can't remember uh, was on our book, and I just I I almost lost it. That's that's so awesome. Yeah, my friend um, sent me a picture when he spotted my book in the wild at his comic shop. I was like, oh my god, that's great. Is <laughs> it totally cool? It is. It is. A, it's a surreal feeling. But I do that for my friends too. Like it, you know, like you're saying, you're, you know, when you have a cool, supportive group of fans and friends. Mm-hmm. If I, you know, if I'm in a bookstore, um, like I was just at the Felicia Day book signing, oh, wow. and um, so one of the things I try to do is I check the the shelves. I was standing in this long line that took forever. I'm like, okay, let me see if I can see any of my friends' books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because sometimes that happens and I'll be like oh hey look I was traveling out in PA and spotted this right. and send, you know, tweet, send a tweet out right and the big part now is getting more of the comic shops to carry more of the independent press and smaller press uh, books because there's so much amazing work happening uh, with the other publishers and with Action Lab and you know I mean I hey don't get me wrong I read the superhero stuff I read Marvel I read DC um, but to to look beyond those, you know, the big two, and really start ordering books from, from the other publishers. So important. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, yeah, I don't think that anything like, I don't think Image has kids stuff. They might have um, Skull Kickers. Every know. now and then they have something. Like, I Kill, I kill Giants was pretty good. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. If you're a nerd, I Kill Giants is one of the best. Right. Graphic novels. Exactly. Uh, um, but yeah, it's it's got to be so cool. So, um, how many issues now that you now that you're at this you know particular point where you're able to get uh, some some of the blogging sites to post preview pages and everything? Mm-hmm. Uh, what how what's your plan for issues and release date? So, awake uh, issue number one was in the July previews, and it lands in the comic shops on uh, Wednesday, September 16th, and we will be uh, publishing, uh, releasing uh, issues in an ongoing basis every other month. So uh, the issue one will be in September, issue two will be in November, and then uh, my ability to remember the calendar fades away, but then I guess so it's three in January, four will come out in March. Uh, and that will complete the first story arc, and and they're all done. They're all sitting there in Dropbox, ready to to go to the printers. And um, so in 
March 4 comes out, then I think in April is when the trade paperback will come out. And then uh, Knockwood, uh, the plan is that we will do an issue zero for Free Comic Book Day next year. And I'm, I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am about issue zero. And for those of uh, you or whoever's out there who go to our Facebook page, we actually have showed a couple of images from that. There's going to be some new characters, a new planet. Uh, so issue zero is pretty cool. Um, and then issue five will pick up after that. So as I said before, we're right now working on issue five. I'm working on the script for issue six. And we're just planning to keep plugging along until people get sick of us. Very exciting. Do you have um, really strict deadlines? Like you've already got it all worked out as to when you need to get things over to Brian and, and then move things along? Or is it, you know, like do you have to, do you have to kind of keep after each other with the deadline stuff? No, not at all. I mean, th- I mean, if anything, he keeps after me because he's so productive and he always wants to make sure that I'm far enough ahead of him so that when he gets there, the script is ready to go. And I totally don't blame him for that. But we, we never, we've never hit a problem where one of us is really sort of waiting for the other one to do something. And, uh, and once he gets a script, he's very productive on it. And so, and, and part of that was because once, once we signed with Action Lab in order to get, into the publishing schedule that we wanted to be on, uh, we actually had to get issues uh, one through four done fairly quickly um, in about, I think, a five-month period of time. And for four issues, that's pretty uh, impressive. And um, so we're, we're kind of calming down a little bit because we're actually so far ahead right now. Uh, but we're still, we want to we want to keep that lead time. Um, I'm one of those comic book collectors. I just hate it when people miss their uh, their publishing date. Like I'm waiting for a book to come out, and it doesn't come, and it doesn't come. That drives me insane. So that's one of the things that Brian and I are really trying to avoid. And so we're we work really well together. We communicate really well, and so far so good. That's good. And I think it's really responsible of you that you're you know you're giving yourself uh, two months. You know, like every other month in order to to do it. Otherwise, I mean. You know, especially if your people have other responsibilities, whether it's jobs, families, whatever, you know, a monthly schedule is very, it's a lot of work. It's it's a lot of work that I don't know if readers are necessarily aware. No, I know. And it's, it's interesting because it takes us literally, like if you put all the time together, it takes us two to three months to do a book and, and to do it right. Um, And an action lab actually, was really the the one that was insisting on doing it every other month. And part of it is, you know, all ages books are the, the sort of market and demographics for, for an all ages book is, is different from, you know, the adult, more adult books. So people like me, collectors, you know, we go at, you know, every Wednesday we pick up our books and we're looking for them. And, and, and you know, at least, you know, a couple of times a month I pick up my books and I'm, and I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Um, people who read all ages books, particularly kids and their parents, don't necessarily go to the comic shop every month. They're not always looking for it. So they, uh, so so with an all ages book, there's more of this idea that you want to keep that each issue on the stands for a little bit longer um, because you don't have the same kind of collector mentality of coming in every Wednesday uh, to, to to pick up your book. 
So that's really so. So when Action Lab said to that said that to us, we're like, oh, you you only want it every other month? Okay, we're all right with that. We can do that. Yeah, that's good. So let's talk about um, these characters and their story. You know, because you know, as we said, the main character's name is Rain, and you've got a a, a planet that's a character. So with with fantasy, right in you know right away, uh, you get you get to see these unusual names. Yeah. You know, like you didn't you didn't name your 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 planet Dave. Like, right. You know you're. Really <laughs> um, so was there. Um, a particular cultural reference that you went through to come up with these names because Rain is is R E G N. So, um, and then is is Picar her brother? Yes. Oops. Okay. Whoops. Never mind. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You because don't find I was that just, out until later, but yeah, I was obviously I was thinking I'm like okay, well they're obviously the same sort of species, whatever right. whatever it is. Um, but then you know like they each have these sort of like marks on their faces mm-hmm. that are different, and his his power colors are, are different. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, but then on the other hand, he's like fishing with this friend of his right. who just like a regular human earth person. Right. Um, so, but, but the planet is the planet supposed to be earth, No, but no. with a spirit. Okay. So it's, com- it is a completely different. Right. Okay. It's a completely different planet. The planet's name is Gremon. Uh, it is a terrestrial earth like planet. And the, the people on it, there are there are different kinds of people. Like there's, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, I'm trying to remember if you've seen the bar scene yet. This is what happens when you're into issue five. <laughs> like, when did it happen? No, so the first one. So right. So there are there are some sort of like very big blue furry sort of brutish kind of characters uh, that you know, talk and, and interact. But, uh, so on the planet of Gremon, there are some different kinds of characters, uh, of different types of, or species, I guess. Um, in addition to the sort of humanoid ones. Um, but the character, so I'm trying to think about the names. So rain was a name that just came to, to Brian. That was always her name. And I don't know where it came from, honestly. Um, to me, it always makes me think of a queen. Um, and that she has this sort of majestic power in a certain way. Opery was also, I think, another name that he came up with. And all the rest of them, and I think Che. Che is actually a shout out to one of my favorite authors, Michael Chabon. Um, I'm trying to think. Picard because he's this kind of guy who is up on the surface and he's kind of going about gambling and flirting with girls and getting into fights. It kind of reminded me of those old, old like English picaresque novels. Uh, So that's where his name came from. I'm trying to think about the rest. There was only one character's name that uh, Brian really didn't like. Uh, and that's the character uh, called Kirk, and he's sort of a bad guy. And I can't remember what his, I think his original name was, I don't know, like Fununu or something. I can't remember what it was, but he hated it. So I came up with Kirk because it sounds like jerk. Um, that's how simple I go. Um, but that is part of the fun part. I, coming up with names and what people and, and different races look like to me is the, the world building aspect of it is so much fun. It is. I love coming up with names and, and like character design descriptions and stuff like that because I, I can't draw, but I can describe things. Yeah, but, but me I too. Love, I love just like going down the rabbit hole of looking up names. Mm-hmm. 
do you use um, a, a program like Scrivener? I don't. Or Final Draft or whatever. Okay. okay. Um, I use. Uh, I, I actually do. I actually do screenwriting, and I use Final Draft for that. But I use Word for uh, the comic scripts. Okay, because in Scrivener there actually is a cool like name generating tool, and for the first time I was playing around with it just a few weeks ago, and you can sort of up like come up with your own list in a way. Oh, that's um, cool. Like I needed, I was looking for something African based, so I went to like a baby name website and was able to like select a bunch of names and put it into a notepad file mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. upload it into Scrivener. And then when you ask it to generate names, you can sort of, you can pick some of these different filters and then make like a short list, it's called. So it's like, okay, well, I like this one and I like this one. And then, you know, through your decision process, figure out which ones you're going to, you're going to go with. So that's super cool. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I've done that thing, you know, like with other scripts where, you know, particularly if they're based on earth, I remember trying to find a what was it, a Romanian name or something that, that, that sounded really cool. And so I just Googled Romanian surnames or something uh, and spent forever looking through those. Yeah, I do that too. And I love the, the websites where you can put in the meaning of it if you're mm-hmm. really specific about something. I mean, you know, it's, it's transparent, but let's face it, right. it's a fun thing to do with, with characters. Besides, it's a way to kill time when you're not writing. That's true. <laughs> but it's still working. Right, yeah, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so with with Rain, she arrives on this new planet. Like you do, like the first pages are are so cool because it's just this crash landing, if you will, on on this on this planet. Um, and they meet this canine character who becomes like her best little best little friend yeah. slash pet slash guardian. Uh-huh. Um, so what something that comes up uh, just. It, you know, in this, like her relationship with the little the little canine dog character Bashi, and then she has like her mentor that you were talking about, um, and then separate from that, you you know you start seeing the planet as a character and everything. Um, the relationships seem to be really important. I mean, the mentor relationship is obviously that's usually like a huge thing that's sort of like you know. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Dumbledore and, and stuff like the mentor is always a very important role but I think um, I think the friend or you know the support system is something that it's it needs to be there and yet it doesn't get talked about a lot I think Harry Potter did a pretty great job of it mm-hmm. you know they they had to have Ron and Hermione there or right. it just wouldn't have been the same book it wouldn't have it's been just, you know I, I totally agree with that that's for me personally, writing is about relationships. It's about exploring relationships. And so when we were working on Awake, and I, I feel like it, it, it's interesting because Brian and I didn't know each other very well when we started working on this book. And and we don't spend a lot of time together, except at cons and things. But it's this really interesting way that working on this book that is where relationships are so important, where friendship is so important, where loyalty is so important, uh, we have really developed a, a really strong bond. And, and I think that that's a reflection of how important relationships are in this book and how important trust is and having your, having somebody else's back. And I think 
a lot of things in the book, and particularly in that, that first book, we tried to really set the tone of how important the relationship between the, the there's the mentor relationship between Opry and Rain. There's the sort of caregiver protector relationship, kind of a pet relationship between Bashi and Rain. And then you've got this really important friendship between Che and Picard. And, and that relationship becomes very, very important down the road. And so it's this idea of, in a way, these sort of substitute families that people create. And one of the things that's interesting or that we tried to do with the Dola is they have a very different concept of family than we have. So children, like Rain, are raised by their mentors. They're not raised by their parents. They don't really know their parents. They don't really know their siblings. So uh, this idea of a substitute family, of, of how those connections can be so critical in a person's life or in a character's life. And then as we go down the road, uh, we're going to see how the family relationship is going to play in um, and whether or not that's going to work for uh, Picard and Rain. What was really cool was, you know, before I knew that they were even related was... They, and I don't know if this was intentional or it was just something that happened, but in one scene, Rain is, you know, she's she's being convinced that, look, this is something you have to do and you need to, she didn't feel that she was ready. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment where she says, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. And then later on we see Picard says the exact same thing. He says, I'm trying. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like it's ridiculously personal and stuff, but it's one of the things that um, just getting through life that um, I I sort of like check in with my friends and I'll be like I'm having a really bad day, but I'm trying. Right. Yeah. So you know, it's just sort of like this mantra that I've had for like the last couple of months, and then to see these these two characters and we don't know if they're you know what their situation is at this point in issue one. Um, but to see that they're both going through these same things too, where it's like they have all this responsibility on them and they have some sort of task that's out ha- at hand. It's like, you can handle this task. Right. And it's like, I'm trying. Right. And, then I, and one of the things that, thank you for catching that. Um, and one of the things that I was really trying to show is that these powers aren't easy to use. And I, because I, I, I wanted it to be a situation where you see all these superhero things, and you know, boom, the little you know power ray shoots out of their hands or their eyes, or they can just jump up and fly. And 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 so I wanted it to be a situation where the the power is really internal to them; it's really personal to them, and it takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of concentration, it takes a lot of confidence to be able to use it, and that's something that carries through the storyline throughout and uh and it's interesting because as the dola get older their ability to use their power gets weaker so they they have consequence yeah mm-hmm. is it um like since this is a you know a different race uh, of beings what is their um, I'm sorry, I missed that. What is their life expectancy? Oh, that's a good question. Um, they, I think they live for a long time. Uh, but they don't, again, they sort of lose their powers, so what their life transitions into becomes 
a different role. And so as so the first story arc the on the planet Gremon um, is actually the first two story arcs. So the first eight issues will be that. Um, issue zero will actually show a little bit. It's actually a prequel that shows how Rain is learning how to use her, her powers. It also shows uh, what was happening with Picard when he first got to Gremon. But then as we progress, you know, we're going to show more of the Dola, more of this. It'll be more of the science fiction aspect of being sort of out in space. And so we will meet their parents. Um, we will get a better sense of how the Dola are uh, sort of organized and govern themselves. And then one of the things that Brian and I wanted to try and do was actually to have our, our characters age um, so that it won't be Rain as 12 years old for the next five years. Um, she's going to get older. She's going to, so her relationships are going to change. Her relationship with Oprah is going to change and her, you know, feelings about her powers are going to change. And so uh, that's one of the things that as a writer, I'm really looking forward to. So, but I think because they have to travel, you know, basically throughout the universe, um, I think they have to have fairly long life expectancy. Yeah, and uh, like age is such uh, an important thing to keep in mind when you're the fan of something, yeah. and even and you know obviously when you're the the you know the writer of something because, um, you know like those kids in in Archie they've been in high school forever. I know. Right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look at how well it worked in the Harry Potter books. I mean, they, you know, when you read those books, um you could really see the transition. I think one of the most powerful things was seeing the transition in maturity from, you know, Harry and Hermione and Ron when they were younger until, you know, at the end they had such tremendous responsibility. And I thought what was really interesting is that it seemed like JK Rowling's abilities as a writer also matured throughout that period of time. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, with these different tasks and, and the mission, like that's, the, the very opening, we find out that Rain is on a particular mission. Um, like they, they're they're put through something that it almost feels like an initiation in a way, especially for her because this, this is her first thing that mm-hmm. she has to do. First time tapping into these powers and awakening a planet. So, um, you know, like as as a creator, what did you? relate to like to draw from from your own life I mean you know was it like scouts or college or or something like what was the first thing that you can remember going through that that felt like oh gosh no this is when I'm done with this something's going to be different wow that's a really good question um I think it was moving uh I grew up I was born in, in Tucson, Arizona, and I had this really great idyllic suburban childhood, and I, I, was, I was so happy, and it was just perfect, like the classic running around like a nut through the neighborhood. I had these great friends, and then we moved to Alaska uh, when I was nine, and I, I just thought, I am never going to be the same. I've lost everything, and I don't know how to build it again. I've never really had to build it, and so getting to Alaska... It was was really, it was like such a foreign place to me. Um, It was a foreign lifestyle. It was obviously the conditions were different. And the idea, like when you're nine and and how you make friends for the first time and how you begin to experience a different stage of life, um, I, I think that was probably 
the scariest time that literally, literally most apprehensive time in my life of trying to figure out how am I going to do this and do I have the ability? And I, and I tell you, I spent a lot of time trying uh, during that first summer there and it took a long time. That sounds really scary because we moved from more like a, an urban area out to the country and it all was across Jersey. And I felt, I felt like everything changed and was awful and was never going to recover. Right. You know, from that, I can't imagine Alaska. I mean, it just sounds so, so remote, like so completely away. Yeah, like, it was. It. it was. And even like there were silly things that were different. Like back then, this is 10,000 years ago, um, Milk, fresh milk was impossible to get in Alaska, and so uh, you had to make your own milk. You had to, we all had dried milk, and you would. My, one of my chores as a kid was to make the milk, and uh, and uh, you know I, I on Facebook communicate with some old friends from Anchorage, and we all joke about you know yeah I had to make the milk too, and just things like that, things you took for granted, and and I was living in Anchorage, it's a big city, but still there were things that. You know, like getting up and, and shoveling the sidewalk or uh, or the driveway, and and the the difference in terms of light and, and during the summer and during the winter, and it was it was really it really was like going to a different ice covered planet. Now that I think about it, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds like you know, it's like we're just gonna journey through the space station. Now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. So it's like. You were destined for sci-fi and fantasy. Exactly. Is that were you a big fan as a kid of of that kind of geeky stuff? You know, I have been reading comic books and collecting comic books since I was about ten, and I don't think there is anything that um, I wouldn't read, except I wouldn't read fantasy like classic, uh, you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs or Tolkien, because my brother was really into them, and I I hated everything my brother liked. So I totally avoided all of that. Um, science fiction, mystery, you know, adventure drama, I, I would read anything except fantasy. I was thinking how funny that is because I can really want to be involved with anything my brother did. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. I would look at those books and think, oh, my God, that must be a stupid book. That's a stupid book because my brother liked it. <laughs> of course, it was, you know, Lord of the Rings, whatever. Yeah, well... But I mean, you know, but talking about those things, I mean, it was, you know, if you're a little girl, then maybe, you know, it's not something you found relatable because there's no women in The Hobbit and there's no... <laughs> That's totally true. And the the, the Burroughs girls are in like, mm-hmm. basically, for the comics, they're at least in gold bikinis. Right, right, right. <laughs> no, that's totally true. So, you know, so here, this is, uh, it's a time to fill the void of, of things for, for the up-and-coming kids. Right. I, I remember, like, when I was a kid, there really weren't a ton of books that had female characters um, as the central, like, for kids. Um, you know, I, one of my favorite books as a kid was Harriet the Spy. And uh, and I don't, I'm sitting here, I'm just racking my brain, trying to think of some other ones that were a girl on an adventure um, that didn't involve a horse. Um, and there aren't that many, but you know, I, I would read whatever I could. I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't really looking as much for female characters or, um, or male characters, but I really wanted characters that I could, I could think I could be, you know, that, that I could relate to 
And I was kind of a tomboy, so reading the quote-unquote boy books didn't bother me that much. Um, but I wanted it to be a character that, that I could really think, wow, I could, I could do that. That could be me. And, and those were the, the books that I really loved. And like in comic books, early on, I really loved things like uh, you know the Teen Titans and the Legion of Superheroes, and the books where, you know, they were they were to me those were kind of the all ages books of the time. And then as I got older, I got into more of the the more serious, wounded, flawed characters. It's so strange because when I'm thinking back now to to television that I really liked that was more kid friendly i don't know maybe it's just because we watched what you know whatever happened to be on but uh, i either watched cartoons or or silly silly sitcoms mm-hmm. like didn't matter how inappropriate it was like i mean we were as kids we saw benny hill like right. it you know, like it was just <laughs> whatever that was the tv and the tv was on. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's when cable was limited yeah um you know but then there were things like little house on the prairie and the waltons mm-hmm. You know, like the Little House on the Prairie is probably like the most iconic of female-led stories, and yet it had to be the you know this period piece. Yeah, and you know, I I can't think of anything that was really like a modern contemporary time for you know for what I would have been growing up with. It's so weird. No, it totally is, and I'm I'm, I'm sitting here trying to racking my brain for something that was set, you know, where it wasn't a boy in the lead, you know, like Lassie was a boy and, you know, dating myself. But, um, you know, even if you move forward, I guess it, it wasn't really until, I guess what, I mean, we had Wonder Woman, we had the Bionic Woman, um, and we had Charlie's Angels. And, you know, those were our uh, female icons, uh, you know, in terms of television when I was growing up. And there, there really weren't a lot of shows that had female characters, like, you know, strong, heroic female characters. And, of course, even today, uh, I mean, it's, it's much, much better. But even in sort of like the big crime shows and, you know, Criminal Minds and things like that and, and CIS or whatever it's called, you have like the one or two female characters and then you've got the team of guys and the one or two. You know, and that's, that's certainly true of a lot of films. Right, and I, I, it, you, you really have to look mm-hmm. and dig around to find the ones where, um, where there's more representation, like Rizzoli and Isles. At least it's got, right. you know, two female leads. Um, I secretly love Rizzoli and Isles. Oh, I love that show. Um, the best, the best, you know, like woman to woman friendship repartee on TV today. Yeah, yeah. and of course they're they're constantly like, um, you know, fan shipped. <laughs> yeah. You know? lesbian couple right. and it's you know but there is such a thing as friendships you know it's like we don't have to ship every couple on tv right, right. and i um, you know it's one of those silly shows i mean i honestly like at the beginning and the end when they're having their little you know jokey times together like i find myself smiling like i'm in the room with them yeah and because they are like i love uh, jane rizzoli um she's she's the very grounded one and it's just so funny because I, I don't know. Like she's, you don't. Even though, yes, she's a cop, and that's the whole point of the show. Um, she's just such a like a normal. She feels like a really normal person, right. like that you could just like meet this person like that. Whereas, um, you know, Doctor Isles is you know posh medical examiner with this glamorous 
kind of life. Kind of um, dorky. Yeah, very, very um, Spock-like, right. you know, in a way. Um, but, like, I can't relate to her on any level, like, at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually relate more to her because she's such a dork. But, you know, one of the things about uh, Rizzoli is, I have to admit, I never gave, you know, Angie Harmon much credit uh, before Rizzoli and Isles. And, and one of the things that's kind of interesting about the show is, as you're watching, you know, I mean, you kind of forget she's drop-dead gorgeous. And and that she's this, I, I don't know, she, she was like a model or something beforehand, but she really is, like you said, she she comes across as this very, very earthy and real person. And I, you know, tip my hat to, to the actress because, you know, if you can forget that Angie Harmon is sitting there looking stunning and just think, oh my God, I'd love to hang with her. Um, I mean, that's, that's a pretty successful uh, performance. It is because, you know, like going back, like we're saying, uh, thinking, thinking back to what came before, like Cagney and Lacey, it was not about them being pretty. Right. Oh, absolutely. It was the first time we were saying, hey, look, women can be cops, so we're going to throw these uh, these sort of dowdy women at you. And, you know, brilliant actors. Right. Oh, totally. Um, but it's, but it, to me, it seems like a, such a huge difference between, like, the TV that we have now versus British TV, where like the women actually look like average yes. people in British TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, it's like everybody needs to be a supermodel on TV now. Absolutely. So one of the things yeah. that I love about Grey's Anatomy is it's like the only show on TV where the men are actually prettier than the women, <laughs> and they're kind of treated like um, like eye candy. Wow, that's funny. Yeah, that's cool. So before I let you go, though, let's get some. Do you have any reading sure. recommendations that you wanna you wanna share? Since we're talking about Awake and the comics, and you know the you know we mentioned a few of the Action Lab titles that are really fun that you should check out, like Planet Gigantic and Arrow Girl and things like that. So, well, um, I think from the what, from the Action Lab front, um, there are two books. Um, well, there's one book, I think it's already out, um, called Archon, which is, uh, by John Perez is the writer. And if you're an eighties person, it's, it's a very fun, uh, referential kind of fantasy. I don't know if fantasy is the wrong word, but it's a very fun book, uh, called Archon. I, I love it. And then, uh, Dave Duanch has a book coming out called, um, Cyrus Perkins and the Haunted Taxi or Haunted Cab, I can't remember. It's so it's it's kind of a like a horror like it's a noir horror mystery kind of a thing about a kid who gets murdered in the back of a cab and he kind of haunts the cab because he's trying to figure out who killed him. And the cab driver uh, has to help him out because he wants to get rid of this kid. Uh, he wants to unhaunt his cab, and it's a very, very interesting and different and fun book. Uh, and those are those are a couple of books. There's another book uh, called Tomboy that I don't know when that's coming out. I need to double check, but it's also a very fun book. Um, I mean, I, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm running through. There's a, another book called Nutmeg that is just so like I'm I, I like. I like Pretty Little Liars, and I think anybody who likes Pretty Little Liars should run and buy Nutmeg right now. Uh, I'm so behind on that book, but I loved it. I remember the, like reading through the first couple issues, and it's it is it's absolutely fun. Yeah, I mean it's it's a hoot, you know. And then there's a couple of other uh, books that you know I, I enjoy. Uh, certainly have been loving the um, the saga series. Uh, what's the other one that I was just reading the other day? Oh, Lazarus. 
which I really, really like, um, is a great book. Because um, I, I do kind of like dark books as well. Yeah. Well, do you read Bitch Planet? Not yet. Not yet. I, uh, um, I actually just ordered the, uh, the trade on that. So that is one that is high on my list. And I love anything like um, anything that Gail Simone is writing. Um, I freakishly and surprised myself by liking her Red Sonia. Um, and so, you know, love that. And then the other book that I just... I think is amazing and fun and wonderful and scary is uh, Rachel Rising by Terry Moore. And um, you talk about somebody who writes women and writes them very well and keeps them central. Uh, Terry Moore has been doing that for, you know, 15, 20 years, starting with Strangers in Paradise and Echo and Rachel Rising. And I think he writes some of the best women characters out there. Yeah, absolutely. He's, it, it's one of those things where uh, you love seeing indie success like that. Yes. He's, he's, he inspires me, really. And, and that was, he was one of the reasons why we were trying to self-publish to begin with, because I thought if Terry Moore can do it, you know, and he's such a, an exemplar of, of success, and there aren't that many who, who pulled it off. And a super nice guy. Super. Like, go, go with him at a convention, please, and just, you know, he's very gracious with fans. Yeah, he really is. Okay, Susan, thank you for your time today. This was so wonderful. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it, and um, we'll be keeping track of Vodka Clock. I'm uh, feeling like I should probably go take advantage of that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's a you know, it's a hot day. Let's you know, let's get some vodka on ice. <laughs> exactly, exactly. At least make sure there's some in the freezer for later. Yeah, I did. I did that recently. Good. Because I was like, you know what, I, you know, shaking it in a shaker is one thing, but, you know, if you can pull it right out of the freezer, yep. even better. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I totally agree. Thank you so much. This has been really wonderful. I appreciate it. Well, um, where can people follow you online so that they can make sure that they remember to pre-order, guys, because your comic shop might not just order these books if you don't tell them. So, um, yeah, so where can they follow you? Are you on Twitter and stuff? So, yes. So we have um, an Awake Facebook page. Uh, you can go like us there, and we we post a lot on the Facebook page, so you'll know when we're at cons, when the books are coming out. And Brian um, often posts, uh, what do you call it, uh, work in progress on the Facebook page. Um, he also is he's very active on Instagram. I think it's Hestunes is his little label, uh, Brian Hess at Hestunes. And then on Twitter, I am. What am I on Twitter? I think it's S. Benville or Susan Benville. You can search me that way. Um, and he is awake comic. And we both try and uh, and be as active as possible on that. And he also has a website called www.hestunes.com. And I totally urge you all to go there because he posts a lot of his a lot of his artwork, not just awake stuff, on that. And um, I'm supposed to be starting a blog there soon, so knock will be doing that. I love progress like pictures. Oh, I do too. I do too. I, I repost them all the time whenever I see them. So, if, you know, then maybe you can include some of that kind of stuff. Yes. Yes. I would love to. All right. That's cool. That's so cool. Guys, you can follow me at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter. Everything else is at amberunmasked.com. You've been listening to the show either through iTunes or Stitcher or, you know, if you're streaming it right through the website, that's cool. Um, but also, please go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked and give, you know, whatever you can. Um, that's basically like a perpetual online tip jar. So if you need any explanation on that, I have a post 
right on the front page of the website, and that helps explain um, how Patreon works. So thank you so much, uh, everybody listening. Thank you to Susan and Action Lab for this opportunity, and we'll we'll, uh, keep our eyes out for Awake.